Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. As I mentioned, we're in the series of Revelation chapter 8 and 9. We're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, just big picture, we've said that there, Revelation can be taken a number of ways. Uh, the approach that we're taking is that the trump, the seals, trumpets, and bowls in Revelation that are in Revelation chapter uh, 6 and following uh, are not so much a, a chronological timeline for the future, but instead they're the retelling of events that happen within our world from the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension that extend all the way to the time of Jesus' second coming. And so it's this constantly recurring story of kind of the battle between forces of darkness and the purposes of God that will eventually culminate in the second coming of Jesus. Uh, We believe that the first century listeners that heard this letter read understood it and it applied deeply to them in their time and in their space. It was primarily for them. But it's also for us as we are enabled to see the dynamic between good and evil as that's worked out in our world and will continue to be so until the second coming of Jesus where he brings full judgment of all that is evil and brings his kingdom fully to come on earth. Last week, we looked at Revelation chapter 6. It had several seals. I've just mentioned a couple of them. Uh, the first seal, with, well, actually the first four together are the four horsemen. They're often known as that. The first seal was a white horse, symbolizing international conquest. Uh, certainly, again, throughout the last 2,000 years since the return of Jesus, we have seen that. The second seal was a red horse, symbolizing the shed blood that comes on our planet from all the civil unrest and violence. The third seal was a black horse, symbolizing economic exploitation, injustice, disparity, the taking advantage of others for the sake of personal wealth and gain. The fourth seal was a pale horse, symbolizing death. Again, this has been a story for the last 2,000 years in our planet, and it's certainly true in our day-to-day. The fifth seal was those who have been killed for their faithful witness to the person of Jesus. Again, in John's day, many in John's audience would have had loved ones who died. Many of them would yet die because of their faithful witness to the person of Jesus. The sixth seal was the language of final judgment that is yet in the future when Jesus comes again. In Revelation chapter 7, we learned that the fact that There's 144,000, as well as a great multitude that are essentially the same group of people. Uh, These are the people who belong to God through Christ. They are sealed. They belong fully to him. They're owned by God. They're under his authority. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are one of the ones who is sealed and belongs fully to God. Getting into Revelation chapter 8, there's trumpets that unfold. 
In a moment, I'll have Cher come up, but before she does that, just a couple things from the first five verses in, in anticipation of her reading. In the first five verses, you're going to hear several things. You're going to hear silence in heaven. The silence in heaven sort of seems to indicate the fact that God's prayer, the people of the prayers of God's people are being heard by God in heaven. Often silence in the Old Testament also happens before some kind of severe judgment falls on earth. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? The silence is this cry for God to actually bring justice on so much of the horrific wrongs in our world. You'll hear about trumpets. Uh, trumpets were often used to, for some kind of announcement. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, here's what it says. Zone in on this. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Listen to this. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. Throughout this series, we're looking at Old Testament language to understand how to interpret what's happening in Revelation. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. So the trumpets that we're about to hear in Revelation chapter 8 are a further announcement of judgment. If you remember all the way back in Joshua, the people of Israel march around the city six days in a row, blowing trumpets. They march around the seventh day, uh, seven times, blow trumpets, and the walls fall. We'll hear about the prayer of God's people in Revelation chapter 8, 1 through 5 as well. Jeremy talked about the fact that we're going to be having a night of prayer. And one thing that's been haunting me is this. Are my prayers sort of superficial prayers for my own comfort, safety, pleasure, and enjoyment of life? Or are my prayers actually rooted and grounded in a true hunger and thirst for God's righteousness to be brought on earth? Are your prayers large size for God's holiness, righteousness, justice, and truth to enter this world? Or are they largely based on personal comfort, pleasure, and ease? Again, we're to pray about all things. God cares about all things. But in Revelation, you find pretty amped up prayers. You'll find a censer of fire. You'll hear that in the words that Cher reads. That fire symbolizing judgment. These judgments are coming in response to the prayer of God's people. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Those are real words of Jesus. Fire pictures, pictures judgment. This judgment is to rid the world of sin and evil, to bring God's judgment on that. And T. Wright says this, After a century of war, terror, and high-tech genocide, we are still inclined, in the Western world at least, to pretend to ourselves that the world has really become quite a pleasant place, with evil merely a blip on the horizon with which we can deal easily enough. That we're often lulled into that mindset. 
that evil is simply a blip on the screen, that we can deal with it easily enough. But Revelation teaches us that evil is real. Listen, friends, listen. Evil is not passive. Evil is not calm. Evil is not placid. Evil is real. It's ferocious. It's violent, and it's destructive. And that's exactly what we'll hear in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And to extricate that evil from the world, God does bring judgment. Romans 1 reminds us that God is presently judging our world. Not that he just will in the future, that he's presently doing that. And so some of these trumpets unfold the ongoing present judgment of God on our world related to evil from the ascension of Christ all the way through and culminating in the second coming. And Sharon, I'm going to come and ask you to read here in a second. Uh, So come on up. The first four trumpets uh, mention a third of the earth being impacted. You'll hear that number a number of times, a third. Uh, The seals referenced a fourth of the earth. The trumpets reference a third. The bowls reference a full earth. And so it's this intensification of the work of God in our world. Uh, We also notice that uh, there were four seals grouped together. There's going to be four trumpets grouped together. Uh, Earlier on in Revelation, we said that the number four often pictures the all-encompassingness of creation. And so these trumpets relate to God's judgment that impact all of his created order, including human beings. And so this is the full breadth story of the world in which we live as four trumpets are blown, impacting earth, land, sea, water, and sky. It's all of his creation as well as all of humanity that exists in that creation. As she reads, the judgment of God that impacts creation also impacts human beings. It impacts the things that we think are stable and are secure. And so listen to Revelation chapter 8 as she reads. Our first five verses we already looked at, and then you'll hear the four trumpets that are blown. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, And a great star blazing like a torch 
fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. There's a number of perspectives that, uh, through which you can interpret Revelation. Uh, kind of using one that I think takes the vast amount of scripture into account, but there's certainly a number of ways that you can interpret this. As I said, the four trumpets impact all of creation. Uh, you hear about earth and land and tree and seas, but they also impact the functioning of human beings that are based on those systems. We live in a created world, and so we use that created world in order to help us and enable us to live. I would say this, the judgments highlight the vulnerability and fragility of what we trust in, of what we take for granted, of what we think is secure. That can be a number of things. It can be politics, economics, energy sources, food, transportation, technology, supply chains, all of those things operate within this created world that God has made. So let's, we'll just kind of run through them. Number one, the first trumpet is hail and fire mixed with blood. Earth, trees, and green grass are burned. It's a picture of that which produces food for us being impacted. Uh, in our world, we experience droughts, floods, fires, famines. That which produces food is often impacted. And so God's judgment in wickedness and evil often has natural consequences in our world that cause to be insecure sources of food. We may not experience that so much in this country, but trust me, as I mentioned last week, those, that kind of impact is felt worldwide. It impacts things that sustain us, satisfy us, and we discover that they have actually have limited capacity. The second trumpet, a blazing mountain is thrown into the sea. The sea turns to blood. Creatures die. Ships are destroyed. This is a picture of the great kingdoms of the world that come crashing down, destroying the lives and livelihoods of those who lived in them. Listen to this verse in Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25. This, these are words of Jeremiah against Babylon. Listen to how Babylon is pictured. I am against you, you destroying mountain. Did you hear that? You who destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you off the cliffs, and make you a burned out mountain. And so the mountains that we see are what we think is secure and solid. The empires of earth are not so much. God is the one who's solid, who's secure. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 62 through 64. Uh, Jeremiah is to do this object lesson. He's actually to throw a piece of a scroll tied with a rock into the river Euphrates 
and it's to sink to the bottom of the seas, of the waters, just like we hear in the first trumpet, as a picture of the destruction of that to which we count solid and secure kingdoms and nations. When you finish reading the scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her and her people will fall. Friends, in that day, Babylon was the world power. It was dominant. It was secure. It was regarded to be unshakable. And God says, I'm going to roll Babylon off a cliff. It's going to burn up like a mountain. And Jeremiah, take a little scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it in the Euphrates, and it's going to sink to the bottom because that's what I'm going to do to Babylon, the mountain that I'm going to judge. And so the second trumpet, trumpet is God's judgment against that which we think is secure kingdoms and powers of this earth. The sea turning into blood seems to just symbolize the amount of violence that comes with that. Ships are destroyed. Systems of economic commerce and achievement of wealth. The seas were often a picture of international connection. You got wealth from other places through transportation on the seas. Again, I think this applies to for the last 2,000 years, but it actually does make me think of just even the disruption of supply chains in our modern world. Like that which we think is solid and secure, that which we think we're guaranteed of, suddenly, wow, like we're actually vulnerable. Suddenly we can actually get some things that we just naturally took for granted. The third trumpet, star falls from heaven and water turns bitter. Most likely, that star falling from heaven is either the person of Satan or one of his demonic beings. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, here's what it says. You have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Then it begins to talk about wormwood and bitterness. Wormwood, when it's used in the Old Testament, is often connected to injustice, unfaithfulness, oppression. That's the way it's used in Jeremiah and Amos. Seems to be a picture of the bitterness of water. Seems to be a picture of that which we think is sweet and life-giving actually becomes bitter and destructive in our lives. Listen to Jeremiah 9.15. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. See, I will make this people, the people of Israel, eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 13 and 18. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, why do you go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Why do you go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? What he's saying is this. We are water-starved people. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus uses water as a picture of that which gives us life. He meets the woman at the well. He asks her some questions. She's lived with five husbands. The one that she's living with now is not her husband. Jesus' message to her basically between the lines is this. You've been drinking bitter water. And what does Jesus say to her? I am the living water. Listen, friends. The commentary on our culture, even in our modern day world, 
is we are thirsty for water to give us life. Whether it's freedom of sexuality, whether it's freedom of identity, whether it's freedom of getting affluence or possessions, whether it's getting freedom for power or self-autonomy. We think we find water that will satiate the thirst of our souls only to find out that the moment we drink it, it's bitter. It's bitter. It doesn't satisfy. We look for life, but there's only one source of living water that's sweet, that's true, that satiates the thirst of our souls, and it's a person of Jesus. Fourth trumpet, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the day, and a third of the night. Uh, Greg Beale says this, the darkness here may refer to a series of divine judgments which plunge men into despair as it causes them to realize the futility of their idolatry and their, that disaster is rapidly coming upon them. Fear, terror, hopelessness, and desperation may be their response. I think these verses in Amos are very telling. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. In that day declares the sovereign Lord, I will come. I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Darken the earth in broad daylight. Pay attention to that. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and your singing into weeping. In other words, at the moment that you think you have the most light in your life, the moment you have that exhilarating sexual experience, the moment that you finally get the promotion and get all the income that you ever have and you think the sun is at high noon and it's shining brightly on your life, suddenly you realize you're still in darkness. You finally drink the water that you always long for and you drink it and it's bitter. Friends, this is a commentary on our world. We sang a song earlier, Center My Life. Here's the deal. If you center your life on any other created thing that God has made, and he's made them for our enjoyment, we're to enjoy his creation. But the moment we center our life and try to get sweet water or light into our lives through the utilization of what God has created, suddenly we worship the created rather than the created, and our noon turns to darkness, and our water becomes bitter. I didn't bring this along, but just this week, I was reading an article on the fact that the life expectancy in the U.S. has continued to decline after like five or six years, it just continues to decline. A lot of it is what we talk about often, really the deaths of desperation. In other words, friends, in our modern world, in our culture right here, we have so much to enjoy. And yet statistically, what we find is that the more that we have, the less joy that we have. Our water becomes more bitter. Our light becomes more dark. That's exactly what's happening in this trumpet. Reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus gives this little parable story about two houses that are built, one on sand and one on rock. And what does Jesus say? 
Jesus says, storms, rain, flood, wind. Do they just beat against one house? No, they beat against both houses. And so as followers of Jesus, we live in a world that is under the curse of sin. We experience the judgment that God expresses on his created order and the evilness of sin. The rains beat on our house. They beat on our lives. We experience some of the same challenges of economic hardship. We experience the same challenges of adequate provision. We experience those things. And so the difference when Jesus tells a story is not what the houses experience, but that one house is built on a rock. It still experiences the rain, the wind, the flood, the storm, but it stands, it's secure. Why? Because it's built on Jesus. And so the four trumpets are the telling of the story that's built on sand. The rain, the wind hit that house, it crumbles because it's not centered on the one who's unchangeable. Well, at the end of chapter 8, there's several woes that are mentioned. Uh, it introduces the two trumpets that we find in, in Revelation chapter 9. Uh, notice one little phrase in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 8. I'll just read it. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Often the, an eagle was used in Scripture to express judgment. You can look at Hosea 8 chapter 1. I won't get into that now, but it's a great verse. Uh, actually, I'll just read it quickly anyway. <laughs> put, the, put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. So it's kind of where the eagle analogy comes from. But notice it also says, whoa, 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 kind of in contrast to the holy, holy, holy that we read about earlier. So the purposes coming up are whoa, 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 because they're related to demonic and satanic activity, and they're in direct contrast to the holy, holy, holy related to the work of God as creator and the lion and the lamb in our world. Also, and what you hear in Revelation chapter 9 is directed precisely against those who are not followers of Jesus. It says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Anytime you read that inhabitants of the earth in Revelation, it's always about those who did not belong to Christ. It's those who centered their lives on the scene and on what's around them rather than centering their lives on Christ. Every time you read that inhabitants of the earth, that's what it means. And so in Revelation chapter 9, it's not judgments on those who belong to Christ. It's actually judgments on those who do not belong to him. The inhabitants of the earth who live natural lives without regard to God and are not united to Christ. So share, I'm going to ask you to come and read Revelation chapter 9. You can kind of hold on to your seats because you thought Revelation 8 was tough. Uh, Revelation 9 amps it up a little bit. So kind of hold on and get ready. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they were something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Hey, how about if we sing a happy song and go home? <laughs> Anybody up for that? Uh, so the fifth angel blows a the trumpet. There's demonic locusts. We'll talk about that. Uh, notice that this is for the inhabitants of the earth. So it's very, very, very important to notice that the demonic world actually turns on those who don't acknowledge God and who actually belong to Satan and his kingdom. A couple things. Let's kind of plow through, and we'll try to do this as quickly and efficiently as possible. Star from the sky. That star is probably Satan or one of the demonic archangels over the demons. Uh, There's a bottomless pit that smokes. It's the pit of hell. The star was given the key to the the shaft of the abyss. Uh, Notice once again, God is in full 100% control. There's smoke and darkness. William Hendrickson says this, the smoke of the deception and delusion of sin and sorrow, of moral darkness and degradation that is constantly belching up from hell. Friends, this is not tame stuff. 
This is hard stuff. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. Here's what he says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What you have in Revelation chapter 9 is a vivid visual picture of what it looks like for the thief to come to kill, steal, and destroy. The number one thing that the demonic forces hate other than God are human beings. Because you, as a human being, are made in God's image. You're a representation of God himself. And so Satan will take out all of his anger, hatred, and destructiveness. He and his demonic forces, fallen angels, will attack human beings to destroy, to bring destruction. What seems, notice that that which we, once again, seems to give us life, actually takes life away from us. Out of the smoke, locusts come down on the earth. Uh, locusts often brought death in ancient times. Uh, they would come in hordes. They would come in swarms so large that the sky would actually be darkened. They were pervasive. Not just one would show up, but reality of the fields would be packed with locusts and just devour life. The idea of locust seems to be expressive of the fact that the demonic forces are not just one here and one there. But I often say our world is packed with spiritual reality. That's what John is communicating. The level of involvement, of harm that the satanic forces are doing is significant and severe. They're expressed as scorpions. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Earlier in those verses, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the skies. And so it's this picture of this fallen angel descending. But then the work of Satan in Luke chapter 10, Jesus expresses as the work of snakes and scorpions, which, which his followers have authority to trample on and defeat because, remember, they're not defeated by Satan. Satan's defeated by God. Listen, friends, as a follower of Christ, you're united to him through faith. Evil can impact your life, but you can never come under the dominion of a demonic force because you belong to God. You can positively be influenced. Evil can impact your life. But it cannot overcome and dominate you because you are sealed under God's protection. You belong to him. It says don't harm the grass or plants or trees. Uh, once again, sort of representing the fact that this is a spiritual in nature. It's not about physical reality being impacted. This is spiritual battle taking place in Revelation chapter 9. Listen to what Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 say. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 
People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. This is a picture of spiritual darkness. This is a picture of humanity being removed from the truth, the living, active word of God. Only those who do not have the seal, notice that's mentioned again, only those who do not have the seal, they're open to spiritual delusion, deception, that life can be found in other places. Listen, friends, we live in a world that thinks that somehow life can be found in materialism, sexual freedom, autonomy, escaping reality through drugs, alcohol, consumerism, affirmation, technology, whatever it is. And it's delusional. Mentions five months. That was a typical life cycle of locusts. Could have reference to that or otherwise just a limited amount of time. It's the sting of the scorpion. Again, we mentioned in Luke chapter 10 that the work of Satan is talked about as a scorpion. Another little part of that possibly could be the fact that it's, it's the tail. Uh, Satan often works in a way where it's initially pleasing, gratifying, and gives us pleasure. But in the end, it brings destruction, it brings sting, it brings bitterness, it brings famine. In verses 7 through 11, I think it's eight or so different times that John uses the word like. So again, we're talking highly figurative, metaphorical language here. He mentions horses and crowns. It's a force to be dealt with. This, this host of demonic forces seem to be portrayed as a, as a host of locusts, a horde of them that can blacken the sky. Also as a force of horses that are powerful. They have human faces, most likely, again, focusing on the fact that they're there to damage image bearers of God, perhaps, perhaps even counterfeiting the work of God in this world. Hair, maybe that's related to some kind of outward beauty or attractiveness. Teeth like lions, they're ravenously hungry, they're never finished. Breastplates of iron, they appear to be invincible. Wings like thundering horses and chariots. Uh, in the ancient days, whoever had the most horses and chariots won the day. Whoever had the most wins. The names are Abaddon, which is Hebrew, and Apollyon, which is Greek. Both simply mean destroyer. Listen to this, friends. Satan will initially deliver. The forces of darkness will initially deliver sweetness, pleasure, satisfaction, ecstasy. Satan will gladly trade off delivering that momentarily for a lifetime of destruction. Satan will take, Satan will take the trade of giving momentary, instant, temporary, finite, and passing happiness and pleasure now for an eternity of separation from God and eternal destruction. Satan will make that deal any day of the week. It's exactly the deal he made with Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them a moment of pleasure. And sin, by the way, honestly, is pleasurable in the moment. It can bring ecstasy. It can bring adrenaline. It can bring thrill. It can bring happiness. It can bring feeling like you're alive. But the sting of the tail of the scorpion will be there. And Satan will gladly trade 
some finite pleasure for the destruction of your soul. He'll make that deal any day of the week. Sometimes when it comes to the demonic world, I know in you know, modern northwest central New Jersey, sometimes that can seem far removed because we associate demonic activity with maybe remote tribes or kind of overtly horrific events or the way that people behave. Sometimes I wonder if it's the opposite. Sometimes I wonder if demonic activity isn't most prevalent where we enjoy relative levels of wealth, comfort, pleasure, ease, financial security. And I wonder if demonic activity is it sometimes most prevalent when we live in that environment and think that that delivers life? We think that that's secure. We think that that's living water. We think that that's solid and secure. Sometimes I wonder if Maybe it's in our kind of modern, technological, advanced, wealthy, affluent, full of opportunity culture that maybe we don't experience the most demonic activity because of the, there's a deception that life is actually quite good, that we're kind of pretty well off without God. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 28 and 29. These are God's words to Israel. The Lord will afflict you. Listen to this. Man, these are blows your mind. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. You think, our, think in our day and age we're confused? Man, yeah, kind of. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person. Kind of sounds like what we read earlier, right? Uh, the sky is darkened. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Verses 64 and 65. Among those nations, you will find no response, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. And you will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night, and never sure of your life. Friends, that's a life of desperation because it's built and centered on something other than God. Six trumpet, real quick. Six trumpet blows. There's horses. Again, I think it's the same image of the fifth trumpet where locusts are primarily seen as the demonic world. I think it's here. It's a, uh, a force of horses. It mentions the Euphrates. Uh, repeatedly in the Old Testament, the armies that brought destruction on Israel came from the region of Euphrates. So it is pictured the, the coming of judgment. Uh, demons are portrayed as troops on horses, a demonic cavalry, the continuation of demonic forces throughout time. 
The Roman military was 125,000 people. These forces are numbered at 200 million plus. And so everybody thought Rome's army was invincible because they had 125,000. They had another 125,000 reserve, roughly about 300. This is 200 million plus. Like the forces of darkness, no one can conquer in their strength. What comes out of their mouths? False teachings, fire, smoke, sulfur come out of their mouths, come out of the mouths of these horses. Again, I think that's a picture of false teachings. Picture of the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're entitled to life going well and being happy and you're privileged and you're good to go. No, like scripture says, yeah, the storm's going to beat against your house. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Snakes injuring people, that's mentioned again as a picture of demonic activity. Everywhere in scripture from, again, Genesis chapter 3 all the way through, picture of snakes or scorpions or serpents is always the work of Satan and the evil one. I'm going to ask Sam to come up and we're going to celebrate communion here. We're a few minutes behind, but hopefully you're, you're okay with that. Um, here, here's the deal, friends. When I read Revelation 8 and 9, I don't know about you, but I want to run to communion. I really do. When I read Revelation 8 and 9, and the horrific level of, I think Sam's coming up, the horrific level of demonic forces, I want to run to communion. At communion, we drink of wine that is Christ's blood. We eat of bread that is his flesh. It's through these elements that we are united to Christ in faith. Trust me, you can drink anything else and it will be bitter. Only the blood of Christ will give life. Only the blood of Christ is living water to our parched souls. And so as we celebrate communion, we celebrate the one who has defeated darkness, who has redeemed human beings, who is life to us. I want to run to communion. It's the only protection we have, friends. The only protection we have. So as you come to the stations, you can pick up a wafer, a cup of juice, take it back to your seats, and we'll take it together. We'll let this section go, and section over here, you guys can stand, move to the stations, balcony, you can go. As you walk to the stations, as you walk to the stations, remember you're walking on ground that's packed with spiritual reality. You're walking on ground where the forces of Satan and the demonic world are active. 
but you're walking on ground on which Jesus himself also walked. Where he was nailed to a cross and defeated the forces of darkness. The rest of you can get up as well, go to the station and bring a wafer and a cup of juice back to your seat. Remember what we said Jesus mentioned. The thief has come to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, friends. The forces of darkness are bent on your destruction. The forces of darkness come to kill and destroy. The elements remind us that Jesus has come to give us life. Remember in Revelation 7, you're sealed. That harkens back to when the people of Israel would put blood on their doorposts. And once they put blood on their doorposts, they were protected. They were sealed as being owned by God under his authority. As we take communion in a few minutes, you are sealed. You belong to God. You're under his authority. Colossians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 say this. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen to me. Satan and the demonic forces are not thrilled that they were made a public spectacle of at the cross. Satan is not happy that he was triumphed over at the cross. And he will do everything in his power to bring destruction. take the wafer just take the cup as you eat and drink remind yourself that you are sealed you belong to God through Christ stand we're going to sing the song blessed assurance reminds us that our story belongs to God. A story belongs to him. We can be assured of his favor, of his protection through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's sing the song. Blessed assurance 
to Christ in faith. Your judgment has been taken. He is your life. God, we pray that as we leave this place that we would continue to follow the Lamb. Thank you that we are under the protection of your blood, that we receive you as the living water, that you are a bread of life. Strengthen us 
to follow you. We ask this in the name of the lion and the lamb, the name of Jesus and everyone who agreed said, amen. amen. Our prayer team will be down here to the right. Uh, thanks so much for being here. God bless and follow the lamb.